0: My name is Hayley-Jane Sims, and you are listening to Your Manchester Stories. Nara Kwa was the first black woman to be elected General Secretary of the Student Union, and the first General Secretary to complete two years in the role. She had numerous achievements in her time with the Student Union, from negotiating over £300,000 for Manchester Masters bursaries to support postgrad students, to successfully lobbying for more student representation on the University's Board of Governors. Since graduation, Na has worked as chair of the Democratic Procedures Committee for the National Union of Students. She is a trustee for the Kids Network, a charity that matches primary school children with mentors. She was a programme manager for the Transformation Trust, an education charity that works to transform the lives of young people. She is the Chief Operating Officer for ANA Hair Collection and she has just started on the Civil Service Fastering Programme, working on the EU exit strategy for Brexit. So thank you so much for joining us now. It's so lovely to have you here. Would we be able to start with telling us a little bit about where you grew up? Yeah, Um, so I grew up in London, uh,
1: in South East London, Camberwell. And it was, yeah, really great. Uh, I grew up in a sort of right I guess in the heart of southeast London so surrounded by loads of different things very vibrant very um diverse community um, my parents moved from Ghana when they were in their 30s to go to university oh, no, they met at university and they came here to go to more university I don't know why and um, my dad came to become an accountant And so we lived in this like small, two-bedroom flat. And we went back recently and I was like, this place is tiny, but looking back, I was like, it's great, it's huge. Um, So yeah, really nice um, in an area where there's up and down, South London in the 90s sometimes wasn't great. Um, A little bit of criminality uh, in in the area, but all in all, I really enjoyed it. And I still live in Campbell now. I moved back to the area. I don't think I'll ever leave South London, to be honest with wow. you. If I live in London, that's where I'll live. Yeah, yeah it's great.
0: So you say you mentioned that like your parents went to university. Mm-hmm. So was that always on the cards for you? Did you always think growing up, actually, yeah, I'd like to take that path as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, I always kind of assumed that
1: I would go, but because especially for them, they were the first in their families to go to university. So I was like, oh, yes, I will definitely go and follow their footsteps. Though at one point in sixth form, I didn't think I was going to go. I actually thought, oh, maybe I should do, do something else, maybe start working, and then actually, I was like, no, this is a great opportunity for me,
0: I should go to uni, um, and I'm very, very glad I did, so. And you ended up in Manchester, yeah. and you've, you've said that you know, you're perfectly happy in Camberwell, I wanna stay here forever, so what led you up north? Yeah, so
1: I think, because I grew up in London, I was very aware of the fact that most likely I'd end up working here, um, and living here so i just wanted to explore somewhere else and we'd been with my family once in manchester i was like yeah i really, I really liked it i thought it was really cool um, and so i went up for the open day i remember me and my friends it was hilarious we couldn't really afford train tickets so we got the coach to manchester to go for the open day left at seven in the morning got there about 11 o'clock ran around the open day quickly and then left two, three hours later to get back on the coach <laughs> to London. And we had a great time. I mean, I'm the only one that actually went properly and went on the tours. They just went to Primark and Abdull's and got some food. <laughs> <laughs> but we all, we all actually, pretty much all of us ended up going to Manchester. I just love the atmosphere, the environment. I had a friend who was in the year above me at school, so when I had my interview, because I was a course that I had to interview for, I stayed with him in Owens Park, and I was like, this is great. I, I love the environment, so for me, it was my first choice.
0: Did you get to go back to Manchester much?
1: I do, I do. Um, for my last, my last job... Um, both two of my projects were actually luckily one in Alder and one in Berry, so I was going up once every month. So that makes me happy. But now I don't think I will have a new job, so that makes me sad.
0: <laughs> so while you were at Manchester, you ended up kind of involved in student politics, mm-hmm. and you were um, general secretary of the students' union. What was that like? Did you did you think that you would get involved in that or
1: no? No. Um, first year, I did nothing. I mainly watched a lot of TV in my bed <laughs> and I was not involved with anything. A student that's a student life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like just really enjoying this like freedom. Um, I went to the fair and everything and I'd sign up for things I just never followed through. And then second year I went on the semester board to Singapore. So I guess in my first year that was my I'm working towards that so that'll be my time to explore. Absolutely loved Singapore um, and I actually got quite involved and active while I was there and I suddenly realised, why am I not this active in Manchester when there's so many opportunities? So I came back, I think, with a new sense of like, self and vigour and signed up to like of societies, joined choir, um, and then I joined the modern United Nations Society, and that's what, I think, took me on that path. And then I also got a job at the union working in the cafe, so I was like, surrounded by it. I still wasn't involved in anything political, um, but I loved Modern United Nations. Um, we would travel around the country, go to conferences, and we were just always talking about politics and international relations. And it got me getting a lot more involved in the union. So by the time I finished my master's, I was like, or my undergrad, I was quite into it. And I was like, I'd love to run for general secretary. There's so many things I'd love to make better, improve, um, change. It gave me so much. I loved being a part of it. Um, but it wasn't necessarily for the the political side. I, I still, at that point, hadn't really thought about it being a, quite a transformative role. I just was like, oh, i like to help, so it should be a really nice thing to do. Um, so I'm glad I ran for it. Um, it was, yeah, it was great. It, I never thought, if you'd asked first-year me if I would have done that in the end, I would have told you, like, no, like, no chance.
0: What was your biggest challenge while you were in that role?
1: Oh, it was... Um, The biggest challenge is there are 40,000 students at the university and you want to be able to say that you know what every single one of them think and want, but that's just somewhat impossible. So the biggest challenge was trying to remain really present, really there, someone that anyone could come and talk to, while actually also going to a lot of meetings and actually spending a lot of my time in a lot of things, having to read a lot of things. And so trying to balance those two things out without maybe losing that sense of being in touch with the student body, I think that's quite a challenge that anyone in that role will find. Do
0: you find that that sort of thing, your your experience in that role, has kind of Mm -hmm. shaped where you've ended up at all? Yeah, definitely. And it shaped me um, thinking about
1: my my passions and being a lot more passion-led. Um, and if even if that's not in my day-to-day job, that's definitely in my other things that I do, my hobbies. It taught me really well how to manage my time and how to juggle things. And actually, I, I quite like being a juggler. Mm-hmm. And it made me realise that I like having loads of things happening. Um, and it also taught me just having to work with different people of different backgrounds, different wants and needs, different things that pull them, and having to try and rationalise that and work out how you can also get to know them and build on something or work towards something so in terms of people management and stakeholder engagement all the buzzwords you put in a cv great for that
0: <laughs> were there any particular like humorous or funny moments during your oh your time? many um, <laughs> um the funniest ones are the things
1: that you just don't think are going to be a big deal So the great thing about democracy is it can go in many different ways, as we all know. Um, And so we'd have these um, student union council, um, like our senate meetings, and I I loved those. I thought they were just some of the highlights of seeing people, different students with different politics, get together, vote on something. Some of the debates would get a bit dramatic. Some of them would be quite interesting. But the one that I never, I still to this day don't really get is how much the media care so much. About some students passing a policy that is just them giving an opinion on something. Mm -hmm. So we'd have we had this one um, where it was ridiculous, it was like a joke policy. Somebody was like, ban David Cameron from the students' union. David Cameron was not coming to the students' union anyway. There was no planned visit, there was no, it was just someone trying to make a point. Somehow that ends up on like national media in the Daily Mail, in all these things. I'm getting phone calls, I woke up one morning and this guy called me, I still to this day have no idea how he got my number, saying, hi now, this is Mark from the um, Daily Mail. I was wondering if you could give me a comment. I was like, no, <laughs> I quickly put the phone down. I was like, why is someone the Daily Mail calling me? And it's just like this whole huge thing. And I was like, I really don't understand how this happened and how I have friends from across the world sending me this article being like, what's happened to it? And they take it so seriously. Yeah. And I was like, internally, it was just quite funny. But for the outside world, it was like snowflake students headline all over again. So now I read everything with a pinch of salt. <laughs> and um, and I, I still find it quite humorous that so many people have a huge opinion on what students and young people are doing. I don't know why. Um, I think it's because they all lived it once and so they all have their opinions of how they may have done it or what they should do now. Um, but it's always quite quite fascinating to me how much attention it gets for things that are minor but some of the big things happening, no attention whatsoever. It's, it's bizarre to me.
0: Was there anything that you thought, like... Like, that obviously picked up attention, Were there were other things you thought, oh, after that, oh, this is going to
1: pick up attention, and yeah. it just totally And didn't. nothing, and then absolutely nothing, and I'm sitting there being like, well, there was even one where nothing happened at the time, and then three months later, it got picked up as if it just happened, and I was that like, bizarre. Bizarre, because some, uh, somebody then tweeted about it, or someone then shared, it was hilarious, because I can't even now even remember, it was similar, it was a policy thing, and three months later, they're asking me as if that had happened all over again. And I couldn't even remember what they were talking about. It was so long, so past in my mind, if it happens all the time. And was your, your name, like, kind of published, attributed? Yeah, your name would be that. out there. <laughs> and well, the thing that I think I now find really funny, but it depends how you take it, is people talk about you as if they really know you. <laughs> and, and so this one person was like, yes, I... I, I I read the comments I've learned now don't read the comments <laughs> <laughs> but at one point I started reading the comments and someone would be like well I heard that she said this and I mean I don't know, when did I ever say these things <laughs> just tribute things well once someone called me Stalin which I was like wait a second here that's uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm very similar to Stalin or whatsoever." <laughs> um, but I find it really funny now how invested people can get very quickly in something but then also lose interest instantly um, and then we also had to then harness that to the things we wanted to cause attention to Mm. harness that same I guess slight hysteria that people get um, towards it as well so many many funny moments where I just laugh over what am I doing here but ultimately really really fun really great
0: it's interesting isn't it like it kind of feels like this is like the world we've got like this kind of these storms where everything is taken so, so, so seriously and then, like, two days later, it's, like, Never the happened. next storm yeah. happens and then yeah. it's, like, completely forgotten. And it's, um... And I don't think it's... The thing
1: that makes me um, rationalise it is I don't think it's that new with our times. I just think the um, mod, the mediums in which we do yeah. it, social media, etc., make it feel different, but I think that's always been in human nature. Mm. It's always been... If you look... Yeah back at history I like to read about history and I'm like okay it's fine there's nothing nothing disastrous is happening it's just it feels very a lot because it's we're surrounded by it because we have personal devices that we carry around with us everywhere and I think that's the thing that makes it feel overwhelming but ultimately I have um courage and trust in the next generation to be able to handle that and you are part of this next yeah. generation that hopefully is gonna well, f- find a way. I don't, well, I'm, I'm the weird generation that grew up with dial-up, so I know what the internet used to be like. Um, didn't have a phone throughout school, and then, but is quite used to using technology now as day-to-day. So I think we're lucky in that I remember both ways. I remember when you used to call your friend on the landline, and now yeah. who has a landline anymore? Pretty much no one has a landline anymore. I don't memorize any numbers but I used to know all my friends numbers off by heart call them up in a second so it's it's good that I remember that I'm glad I remember that because I think about um people that are younger than me and they have no idea or concept of those things
0: yeah and they've grown up in a in a different world where a social media world where everything is kind of like that experience that you had of you know reading comments and all of that online like I, I feel sorry for people, young people yeah, now that same. their lives are online. Yeah, everything, everything they've ever done is on there. Was
1: well, at least I had a bit of a, a bit of a time to fish out all those things and not put it on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs>
0: to to make your mistakes without them exactly.
1: like appearing. Exactly, online. that's the thing. Also, that always is um, because it's so fast. Anything you put out there, just assume someone has screenshotted it someone has that picture, saved it, just to see what's happened, and they are waiting for a time that is right that they may put it out really? there. And Do you yeah. feel like you're
0: like looking after your social media now as in like you're really conscious of what you're putting yeah. out there just
1: in case? Yeah, I don't put things that I wouldn't say to someone's face. Yeah. That's my rule. If I wouldn't yeah. say that to your face, if I wouldn't think, directly say that to a group of people and not feel embarrassed, then I'm not doing it. If I wouldn't say it to my mum... It's not going on there, it's, 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 it's that simple and it just makes life a lot easier, I don't, then I don't really want my social media is completely public because there's nothing really on there that I wouldn't say to anyone and so it doesn't feel like, like a scary place for me but if that was my medium for everything, my goodness, I think people should write diaries again. Yeah, write a diary. Put your inner thoughts into a diary, not on Twitter. If you can still write. If you
0: can still write, if if you you can can still write. write and then I go, oh, my hand Ooh, hurts. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. So now um, you kind of you left university, venturing into uh, the real world, and your career seems to be focused on working in the charity sector, yeah. particularly education charities. What's your kind of interest and in the difference that you'd like to make yeah. in that kind of world? I see
1: education as a form of complete social mobility, as a way in empowering people to fulfil all their potentials. So I think that stems very much from my family, and my parents. My parents were very both like academically driven, for which in the environment that they were in was really quite strange. Um, so. My mum had to, like, fight to go to school. She was very much like, I will go to school in, like, a small village in Ghana and someone had to go, actually, she's quite bright, let let her go further and she ended up going to university and my dad was quite similar. So it's always been something that I've cared a lot about. And I think also seeing the different types of education systems that kind of run parallel on this country, think state education to private, and actually why do people send their children to private school? Well, that's because historically in certain areas the education is better and they want the best for their child so how can we replicate those things into actually everyone should have the opportunities to have a great education and so I just got really interested and involved in the education sector and I think being general secretary really made me so passionate about it because I was writing with higher education and all the, all the great things that it can bring. Um, and so I also realised that some of the issues that were facing in the higher education system, so around wine participation, social mobility, some of the things that, why does certain students not end up going to certain universities, started way before we, I ever got in contact with them. I got, quite got in contact with the ones that are already at university. So they've hit, gone through all the hurdles or barriers really by the time i've ever met them to then help them anymore and i realized secondary and primary is where it all starts and that's why i started wanting to get into like secondary primary school education but i couldn't become a teacher i don't think it's in my temperament <laughs> 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 i would love to but i don't think it's in my uh, and it seems like a lot of hard work at the very it, yeah it's i know a lot of teachers um, and sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I should have gone to teaching, but most of the time I'm quite happy with, with, with the path I took. So,
0: so what is the actual work that you do within kind
1: of the yeah.
0: education charity?
1: So, um, the job that I had was as a program manager for an education charity, so really looking at employability and skills. So, building what people would say the soft skills, but actually, I don't think that that's soft, I think it's the things you need to have day-to-day, it's the confidence, the leadership skills, problem solving um, money skills all the things that a lot of people without the right educational environment or family environment if you don't practice those skills you can be really smart academically but then you will still struggle in the workplace in in so many different bits. Um, So I would work with um, private sector organisations who'd fund these programmes and then I would deliver them into the schools and we'd only work with them state schools in the most deprived areas of the country and it was really yeah really fulfilling going into schools trying to make things happen and I'm in no way I know I thought that I'm completely transforming their lives because there's other things that I can't help them with I can't change their family life I can't change their day-to-day school experience but in my workshop or my mentoring program hopefully they can build on some things and there's maybe a light bulb at some point that goes, ah yes, I remember this one bit from this day that I did, that helped me think about this in a different way. So even if it's that little light bulb, or that little thing that they remember, then I feel happy that I it's like you're making a difference. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it was yeah really really rewarding, uh really challenging. Super small charity budget is always a f- issue. Funding is always. Oh, how we need to make, get some more money in to make this happen. Um, but I think it taught me really great schools. It was complete opposite. I went from Manchester, which is huge, like resourced and the things going on always to then woo, I am social media, program manager, admin person, yeah. report writer, designer, <laughs> all in one, website maker, <laughs> all in one,
0: uh, which is, yeah, I'm glad I got to practice that skill set as well. Uh, and you're also a trustee for the Kids Network. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your role and what the charity does? Yeah, so the Kids Network is a fabulous small charity
1: that works with primary school-aged um, children, so year four to six, um, and they match them up with a sort of a mentor, so someone who's usually like a young professional from a similar area who maybe have grew up in London or moved here whenever, and they are mentored with that person for a year. Every week you hang out with them or every Saturday or Sunday, which day that suits you um, and I got involved because when I got back from Manchester i was I was kind of looking for something and I, I was in this Facebook group, and the founder Sarah put a message out saying we've just launched this new charity we're looking for mentors I was like, great and so signed up my mentee i've actually been with her for more than a year about eighteen months now, and um, so we're now coming to the end of our relationship, which Fills me with such like heart like heartbreak angst, um, and it's been incredible. It's one of the best things I've ever done. It's um you really get to know this this young person and help them through their transition to to secondary school. Really helping them build their confidence, their resilience. We set goals with them. It's like little mini goals, not like what do you want to do in ten years, but I want to be more. Um, Conscientious. I want to help my mum more. I want to do well in my sats and help them really think about a bigger picture. Um, and she's grown so much, changed so much. Um, it's been fabulous. So then I became a trustee earlier this year. And so even though my mentoring time will end, um, it's really just trying to build awareness with the charity, get more people um, involved, get more mentors recruited, so that we can really build... And hopefully, the dream is in five years we're working in every borough in London. So I think there's such a need for it, mm. um, and actually, that earlier year intervention is just so important that I hope it will carry them through secondary school um, and really make a difference to them.
0: Well, it's such a lovely idea, like it's, yeah, like you think of mentors for kind of old, you know, yeah. older children, yeah. or, and and this it must it's going to be really lovely for you, I guess, to see that person grow definitely and what comes of them and I guess you keep in touch Do you, we, to you in can
1: touch? so you you can keep in touch but it'll be later in the year. so once your relationship ends then it's like, it ends because safeguarding, etc. Mm-hmm. you really can't still stay in contact. But I do think in time, then she can say, reach back in touch and say, can I contact now? And I'll be like, yes, please, let her contact me. Um, and it's great because you also get to know the families really well. Because they are much younger, it is talking to her mum, talking to her dad. Hi, can I pick her up? And I remember the first day I picked her up somewhere, I was like, I'd met them in school. So the mum had met me first and teachers met me. Um, and I was like, I've got this, like child who's not related to me in any way that I'm taking to the park and I'm, I'm and at first I was like so terrified like if well, she crosses the road without crossing the road properly what if this happens What well, if she's allergic to this and I gave her this food and then no no, no issues whatsoever <laughs> and it's been absolutely incredible and um, so it's a wonderful charity that I actually hold like very very dear to my heart so they can't get rid of me now I'm gonna be around for ages. Can we talk about
0: your next career move? Yeah, of that course. must have like everything there must have helped maybe on your next journey. Yeah, if you if you could tell us a bit yes, more about your really exciting new um,
1: job. So I luckily got onto the civil service fast stream program. Um, so funny enough, I actually tried to get on it before, and I think everything has a time and place. I just don't think I really at that point. Was I don't think I was ready really to do. It. I'm so glad I'm going in at the time that I am now. Um, so I'm now working. This is a three-year program. So each year I move to a different department, different role, and it's meant to stretch you and challenge you. And you have to pass each year, do assessments and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so my first posting is with the Department of environment food and rural affairs and i'm working on chemical and pesticides policy um in on eu exit and future trade negotiation drills so completely different world Mm. from education Um, it will be i've been reading a lot a lot of acronyms and chemical names i've never heard of (laughs) that i'm trying to get my head around but it's really really exciting Mm. i I kind of um we have these like on onboarding days And I get really excited being thinking about the things and the policies that I can actually um, keep making an effect on, and
0: working on and building hopefully a a better country. In in terms of the time we're at with Brexit and things like that, and you're you're working on a team that's dealing with kind of EU exit. Yeah. What do you think that's going to be like? Because nobody really knows at this point that we're talking right now who knows what's going to happen and when anything's yeah. going to happen. Um, I spoke to my line manager and she was just like, I mean, I wish
1: I could tell you how a year will pan out, but I really can't tell you that it really is... Um, the, the tagline of every email we get is um managing um unpredictability <laughs> that is that's the title of everything We like things are very busy everything's quite unpredictable and it's being okay with that um so yeah i'm definitely going in at a time where it's full-on and weirdly enough i won't have the knowledge or the expertise i feel in that first month to really add anything more than what's already happening because i'll be learning and so I'm sure my managers will be very frantic doing all these things for EU exit and I'll be like, "Hi, I have read this report, is this okay? Um, Definitely exciting. It's an interesting time to join the government because a lot is going on. Mm. Pretty much everybody I've spoken to, who's working, who's starting, is working on Brexit related stuff. Unless you are literally maybe in a very much more operational role in a job centre or something like that. But pretty much anyone doing policy, it's wow. Brexit, so it's all-consuming.
0: And would it be, like, quite changeable? So, say, you know, an announcement made, you know, you might have put loads of work into working on a policy that responds to this, and then literally the next day, that could be in the bit. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. Very much so. And my friend has been working on it for... Working on a policy for... How many months? she has been there for nine months, nine, ten months, in the foreign office, and still she's like, it changes every time. Every time I write something and I feel like we're getting there, it changes. And so you just have to be somewhat okay with it. Really frustrating, really, really frustrating. But it's just the times that that's in and the work starts to get done. So I think I'm, I just have to keep that in my mind yeah. con- con- continuously.
0: Does it feel like quite an exciting period to kind of be in the thick of the politics of it? Because although like it is whatever your political views yeah. are on the subject like in some ways if you're working in the kind of the pit of it Yeah. It, it is
1: exciting I am someone who watches Question Time and Newsnight and all those things it is exciting to be right in the heart of it this is one of the biggest things our government has ever done mm-hmm. so it is it, it's, it's a true challenge or tackle no matter whether you want to leave or stay it still is something that is it's huge that's happening and so I think if I do hopefully I want to have a longer career in the civil service it's a great time to be in it because yeah. then going further on all the policies all the things we're going to have to start making a lot of them ourselves and from scratch and so if I can be there the really difficult time then the times afterwards hopefully
0: are a lot like a lot better imagine what people are going to do with their time when, <laughs> when, <laughs> when Brexit's finished and think going to go on
1: holiday
0: <laughs> <laughs> well the thing that's really um
1: it's, it won't ever be finished because what's even deal or no deal the first people we then have to trade negotiate with is the EU
0: yeah.
1: so I think that's the bit this is meant to be the easy bit that's the worst thing about it this is meant to be phase one the ease, the easy bit this is what we broadly agree on to withdraw it's the next bit that's way harder because oh, wow. that's actually building a full on because they st- we still have to trade with them we have to or there's no i think people think no deal means not engaging with them anymore and actually it just makes our engagement just that bit more difficult that's i think the thing that i think is not really spoken about in the media or really pressed onto it they are the first people we start a deal with because everyone's talking about other people and other deals yes of course we'll do them but the biggest deal will still be with the eu because that's 27 countries
0: yeah, do you know, I I didn't actually that when you put it like that, I didn't necessarily like everyone's so focused on the kind of the um, the immediate now and mm-hmm. that that actually I'd not really put much thought into. Yeah, it. and so some people are working on our next bit, but that next bit we don't
1: we know don't what it'll be like bit, yeah. until we do the first bit.
0: Does it make you want to pursue some sort of political career maybe yeah. in the future? I
1: think about it often and i i would never say never so i'm not going to say no i would never um, but i also don't know if i could say 100% definitely i'm going to i'm going to run for mp because there are some things one i do want to have more life and work experience i'd want to come as an mp with having some basis of work and being, not that being MPs don't work, but I would like to be able to say these are the skills I've brought from this other experiences that I've had to then say feel like I'm, I can generally add more things to it. Um, but it's, I think it's really tough being an MP at the moment. I think the public scrutiny is, of course you need to have it, but it comes to a point where it's actually quite terrifying. I mean, I think we forget that an MP was killed... During the, like someone was actually killed for doing their job so it doesn't it doesn't seem that I don't think it's as glamorous as some people think it will be or should be and I think I'm very aware of that and so if I was to do it I'd have to do it at the right time
0: yeah and the time at which we're speaking now yeah. there's literally the past couple of days been lots of female MPs um, coming out and saying that the, the rhetoric it's is just is, yeah is Dangerous. Yeah. Do you feel that more from the perspective of a woman of color? Yeah.
1: Yes. That's also what terrifies me about it. I've seen many women of color, whatever their political persuasion, being absolutely beaten down, and they're really strong mm-hmm. and they're fantastic. And but I also I'm not sure at the age of 26 that's what I would want for my life right now. Maybe let me build a bit more resilience, have a few other things. Going on, I think for me personally, before I would want to enter that space because it is it is quite terrifying. Yeah, I, I kind of like my anonymity. i like you know, my three hundred followers on Instagram and and post my pictures on my friends say like thumbs up. I don't necessarily at the moment need all that scrutiny that you can get, especially as a young woman. Yeah, especially as a young woman of colour. It's just yeah. yeah, I think it's something to think about.
0: Are you? So you're kind of trying to, you've got your next career move, mm-hmm. and you've also got kind of uh, business side. Tides,
1: yes, yeah. My my side hustle um, <laughs> with my um, sister. So one thing that I um, loved, and I, one thing I would wish. I, would, I did more at University you know, of Manchester as the opportunity for entrepreneurship. And I only really saw how incredible it was when I was general secretary and I didn't have a business idea at the time. So I couldn't um, take opportunity of it. But I love that entrepreneurial spirit. I met so many people who were just so go-getter and doing so many things that was, it was quite um, thrilling for me. And so when I moved to, moved to London and I was in a job that was great, stressful, but also I, I kind of was, I like to juggle and General Secretary was overwhelming. I was there, I lived at that union, it was everything to me. And I finally was like, oh, I'm in a kind of, you know, nine to five, work late some days, but I'm, I'm relatively, like, not, my whole life is consumed by this. So my sister's a hairdresser and always wanted to start her own business and sort of make it, she was always doing, always been doing things, um, but she just really wanted to codify. And I was like, great, let's do it together. Um, so we started up the a hair collection. I'm the business side of it, website creator, updater, um, all, all that side, to do the bank accounts, but, and she's the creative, artistic um, side of it. Um, and it's great. We, we are transitioning a lot to um, helping people that have like hair loss and different um, hair wigs and pieces, and we, we do it all bridal hair as well. Um, but it's really exciting to have that entrepreneurial business side also going and I made a new year's resolution last year I was like by the end of the year I want to own my own business I was really glad that I was able to make that happen.
0: How do
1: you fit it in? <laughs> uh, sometimes with, with much much stress. Um, I used to not sleep as much, but now I'm really enjoying sleep. So that's actually a real issue for me. I'm not fitting in it as, fitting in as well as I used to. Uh, so I need to reshift shift some priorities, but I'm lessening some things and then getting more involved in others. Um, so it's like the kids' network and stuff, so...
0: Is it going to fit in um, with your with your new job?
1: I mean, I hope so. We'll see how make it goes. It work. I'll,
0: I'll, I'll make it work.
1: There's two of It'll us, it fine. There's two of us. Um, yeah, we'll just we, we work. We and my work really well together, um, and it's nice to have that other side to our relationship. Which yeah. Is great.
0: And does it feel like a hobby? The business, like mm. obviously, it's like an an interest, but is it quite a nice interest? Because it is a nice it's interest. It's like ridiculous yeah. and yeah. the VSL, yeah.
1: even though it's. It, it it does and I think maybe I need to and actually the one thing that terrifies me is if it gets bigger I don't think I'd be able to keep up with it and we would then, exciting problem then have to go well maybe we need to hire someone and then I would be a figure but I, I've, my sister always knows that I may not be the person that would man, like line manage that person, she would be the person that would do that um, I think we've got that quite clear because obviously I still have my coach it's part of her world so she could easily maybe not go to her salon anymore and do that full-time if it was getting to that point if it did that'd be amazing that would be, that would be awesome that'd be amazing and then I'd have a great problem of like oh should I join in as well <laughs> but I think I'd stay I think I'd stay in service um, I, that's also a career path I wouldn't want to give up either so I'll try and make them all work yeah, and then see how they go, and then pick when if I have to pick, I'm just gonna try and not ever pick. <laughs>
0: It'd be really interesting to do like another interview with mm-hmm. you in like five yes. years, and be like, right,
1: so where are you now? What's <laughs> where up? do you think you're gonna be then, in five years
0: time? <laughs> <laughs> I do not.
1: Um, I, I'll be honest. I would love in five years time. I'd still be a civil servant, I think. Um, I would have maybe done a comment out. I would have done some bits. Worked in different departments. It's funny, I would, I would have said when I first applied, I was like, I'd only want, I'd want to work in foreign office. I'd be a diplomat by this point. But actually I'm not sure I might find something that I really love in a completely different department. I have a really, really weird interest in transport. I don't know why. I just find transport really intriguing. So who's making it, or just, or just like, transport? the, concept, just, of the, the transport. concept of like smart cities, yeah, and actually what are we going to need to make our transport needs um, really the policies, and things we have to implement yeah. to make them where we need to be in the next five to ten years, I find really interesting. What
0: What are your thoughts on
1: that? I'm interested in that. Smart, we ha- we're going to have to use technology way to our advantage. Smart cities. We have to make it that driving is just so inconvenient that public transport is so good that you don't need to yeah. drive at
0: the moment it's not so driving is the most convenient yeah. route this is as funny as what we were talking about um, with our transport issues getting to London mm-hmm. today um, we were talking about how it feels like if you put the choice out there for people you're never going to reach a conclusion where people are like oh yeah let's pedestrianise or do this, yeah. that, the other you have to almost be like firm we, do it we're for doing people it, yeah. and then they want they once they, like, kick off for a little bit. Yeah, they move, know, move into it. The Look at congestion zone in charge in London
1: is a great example. I remember when it's... Because it's not even that far from me, it's Elephant and Castle. I remember when it was coming in, everyone was like, what? Like, outraged. Like, it was the worst thing that was ever going to happen. And now it's just a normal thing of, oh, it's Saturday, I can drive in if I wanted to. But Monday to Friday, no-one drives their car into London. Mm-hmm. It's just... You just get on the bus, you'd get on the tube. So in those few years, the mindset has shifted, mm. and then there's a lot more to do. I find driverless cars super intriguing, and um, there's the, this tech side of me that I would happily love to bring the two together, like the creative and the tech side. There's some role, there's something out there that brings all those it's things a new together. Idea. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I just create a tech, have make get a great idea for an app, and then sell it off and be a millionaire and then yeah, I'll be even easy. five years time i be like I'm just doing my charity work and I just, <laughs> that's exactly what I, I just really just swanning while on holiday doing charity stuff that's literally what I would do
0: so we're booking another interview yeah. in five years time <laughs> And then we'll reflect on this okay, and um. see if, if you're just like... Mm. Or you might just be like, no, I'm too busy, I'm, I'm on the beach. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, no, I'll call, I'll call in, don't worry. You can have a lot of on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm really not, I'll fly you over, there you go. <laughs> right, now, nah, we're on to our last question. Oh. So um, we're going to give you access to our time machine. So where or what time in Manchester...
1: Would you go back to... Yeah, I would go back to... I'm sure I'm not going to be the first person that said this. I'd go back to that first day when I moved in with my suitcase. I was so excited and so keen that my family didn't come with me. They would take, They could only cover the weekend, and I wanted to be there on the Thursday, Like, that first day you can move in. Yeah. So I came up on my own, and I moved into my flat, and there was no-one there. And I, I went to do my first Sainsbury's shop. I lived in Richmond Park in Fallowfield. Went to my first says shop and I met this girl Ruth on the on the side, so cringy now. And I was walking and she was sitting there reading a book. I was like, Oh hi, I'm not, how are you? I was like, Oh, do you live here too? She's like, Yeah, I was like, Do you want to come up for a sandwich? I just oh. bought like the sandwich things, and then we became friends, and I just think I remember being so nervous and being like, What does this hold for me? And first year was quite actually quite a difficult time. I was very um I didn't have much going on, so I was very, I'd go to to all my lectures, I was very studious, but I was very, I think, a bit purposeless, so I would say to that, nah, it's going to be great, I'd love to see her again, and her sort of optimism and excitement for it, but also say to her, it's going to be good, like, you'll enjoy it, you'll have a great time, just keep doing you. (laughs)
0: that's a lovely answer yeah no thank you so much for joining us and we'll speak to you again in five years in five years thank you for listening to your manchester stories please rate review and subscribe or follow this podcast wherever you listen if you are a graduate of the university of manchester you can connect with us at your.manchester.ac.uk
1: This podcast is produced by Kate Bradbury and Hayley-Jane Sims on behalf of the Division of Development and Alumni Relations at the University of Manchester. The music for this podcast was
0: supplied by Blue Dot Sessions.